that's a good sign, right? You're ready to keep going. morning, you can turn to Joel chapter 2 this morning. Joel 2. As we talked a few weeks ago, do you have any on back there? You got nothing? Can you hear me? Okay. Joel 2 this morning. So we talked a couple weeks ago from Joel chapter 2. We're going to just look a little bit deeper into that this morning. I felt that week like I had a lot more to say and didn't get to say it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um... We're actually going to start back in chapter 1, but we're going to be focusing mainly on uh, Joel chapter 2 this morning. What we see in, in uh, the book of Joel is, uh, they're not sure exactly when the book of Joel was written, but somewhere they think around uh, the return from the exile of the people of God in Babylon. Um, either way, what we see in the book of Joel is... Uh, Simply, Joel speaking and helping the people to understand the result of them forgetting God. That's what we see in the book of Joel, is the people forgetting God. We see God, we see the destruction that follows man forgetting God. We see then the God calling them to repentance through the prophet, and then we see the mercy of God, which heals his people. These are the things that we see in the book of Joel. What we have to focus on, though, we have to understand what I want to talk about today is what it means for us to forget God. And it's an easy thing for us to do. Now, I've read a lot of things about uh, this in the last few days. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people that uh, I've read that even, you know, kind of felt that uh, once you have the Spirit of God living in you and you're walking with God, that you're not somebody who is prone to wandering anymore. You know, we talk about those things. We even have the hymn, uh, Come Thou Fount, has a verse that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Uh, and there are people that think that that is not the case when a believer is walking with God and walking in the Spirit. Now, that's true. The Spirit of God keeps our attention fixed on God, but He's not going to force us to do anything. The fact is, if you and I stop pursuing God, if we stop uh, trying to gain a greater and greater understanding of him, if we, if we stop trying to have communion with him, immediately then we begin to drift. I remember uh, one of Francis Chan's books, I can't remember which one it was, but he was talking about, uh, he was likening it to if we were in a stream and you were swimming upriver, what happens the moment that you stop swimming? You start going back immediately, Right? That is the way it is in our spiritual walk. So you can be walking in the Spirit of God. You can be uh, in a relationship with God. But if you take your attention from Him, you will immediately start to drift. You will immediately start to lose sight of Him. You will immediately start to forget Him. You see, we see this outlined all through the Word of God. The warning for us to be careful, 1 Corinthians 10 Verse 12, it says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. If you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. You see, there is a lot of care that goes into our spiritual walk. We should take great care of our spirits to make sure that we do not fall from our position following the shepherd. Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. Be careful to allow the work of God to be completed in you. You see, when we go before God, we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling, mean that I am concerned that the work of God would be completed in my spirit. Again, God's not going to force himself on anyone. There's so many times I feel like where, uh, you know, people question, where is God? Why is he not moving in my life? The first question is, are you actually following him? I mean, do you actually have a concern to know him and to follow him? I'm not talking about, do you show up at church once in a while? Do you go to Bible studies once in a while? You can do those things all the while. You are not actually walking in step with the spirit of God. You are not walking with the shepherd. You see, what this means is that I need to actually have a concern for my spiritual walk. Over everything else, this is what we see the prophet outlining here above everything else. And we'll outline that more as we go here. But he's saying that you need to actually have concern for your own spiritual well-being and the well-being of those around you. Work out your salvation with with, uh, fear and trembling. Uh, The pulpit commentary said this, have an eager, trembling anxiety to obey God in all things, considering the tremendous sacrifice of Christ, the unspeakable depth and tenderness of his love, the immense importance of a present salvation from sin, the momentous preciousness of a future salvation from death. So what he is saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling that when I make decisions, I make decisions in light of all that God has offered to me. What are you saying is that we should have a biblical worldview, that everything that I encounter, every situation, every conversation I have with others, everything that I do at work, everything that I do with my family should be interpreted or the decision should be made through the lens of what God has outlined for us in his word. That's what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling is that I would want the, the, the work of God to be completed in me. But my part in that is that when I encounter something, I react to it based on the principles outlined in the word of God. You see, when I react any other way, that immediately says that I don't have that much concern about my spiritual well-being. You see, we can talk all we want about our spiritual well-being, about all the salvation that we've received. We can talk about these things all that we want. But if I do not interact with the world or other people or whatever situations I face, if I don't react or interact with the world based on the principles of God, that immediately tells me that I am more concerned about my own thoughts than God's thoughts. I am more concerned about my own well-being, establishing myself than allowing God to be the one who establishes me. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We should have an actual concern. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says this, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The Apostle Paul said that he had concern for his own spiritual well-being. I I can preach, I can tell people about God my whole life, but if I don't finish well, then it is all meaningless for me. You understand that? That we can do these things over and over. You can do them for decades, but if you don't finish well, if you're not concerned for your spiritual well-being, again, for God to complete his work in you, it is all for nothing. We need to have concern for our own spiritual well-being. Second Peter 3.17 says, Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Be on your guard so that you won't fall from your secure position. Now, people talk about uh, things like eternal security. We debate those issues in the church. Now, I don't believe for one second the Bible teaches that we have unconditional eternal security in Christ. Now, that, what that means is when, when people talk about that, they mean that once you receive salvation, no matter what you do or say or, or what situation you get involved in, you can't lose your salvation. That is fully untrue biblically. You cannot find that. Now, my salvation is secure in Christ. It is absolutely secure in Christ. The Bible says that uh, the, the powers of hell, nothing in this world can separate me from 
the love of God or cannot pull me out of his hand. But I can choose, if I am not careful, I can choose to divert my attention and pull myself out of his hand. You see, my, self, my salvation is secure as long as I keep myself within his grasp. Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless and fall from your secure position. You see, you and I have a secure position in Christ. But the security of that position is not unconditional. It is conditioned on you and I continuing to keep ourselves in the arms of our shepherd. But the point he is getting at here is we need to recognize that if I am not concerned, if I am not careful, if I don't look at my spiritual well-being with great care, it is absolutely possible for me to fall from my security with devastating effects. You see, sometimes the devastation from falling affects me alone. Sometimes the devastation of falling affects myself, my family. Sometimes the devastation of falling from my secure position affects myself, my family, my church family. Sometimes it ruins reputation. Sometimes it ruins reputations of whole churches and communities. Be careful that you don't fall from your secure position. How do we fall from our secure position? Because we forget God. All through the word of God, we see it. We see that the Israelites would walk with God and they would forget him. And they would walk with God and they would forget him. Then they would walk with God and forget him over and over. We see that. And again, we see it outlined even in the new covenant. Be careful that you don't fall from your secure position. Be careful. What does that mean in our spiritual walk? Be careful. What does that mean for you to be careful? It means, number one, we need to actually be thinking about our spiritual lives. Analyze your actions and the things that you think about through, your, through the week. Is your spiritual well-being something that ever actually crosses your mind? Is it something that I actually have concern about? Is it something that I take great care over? many ways that you and I can be tripped up and begin to wander to have our affections diverted from Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting verse 10 says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you to the, you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It says be careful when God gives you good things. Be careful when God blesses you with houses and land and cars and food and all of these things. Be careful when you have good things because the moment that you and I become comfortable in life, the tendency in humanity is to start to think, I don't need anything. We might not say that. Nobody's going to say, I don't need God. Nobody in the church is going to say that anyway. But you see, our actions, when we become comfortable, when we have good things, our actions sometimes prove that I think that I don't need anything. That I have all of this wealth built up. I have all of these things built up around me and they are my security. But you see, in that, if I am not careful, I will lose sight of the fact that these things can be gone in an instant. Somebody can get sick. Somebody can lose a job. Somebody, there could be any kind of thing that you could imagine that could happen and it can all be gone in an instant. I remember my pastor talking to us um, when we were going through marriage counseling, and I know he's talked about this to many other people in marriage counseling and my pastor in Brookville. And I remember him saying that, you know, people have a lot of plans when they go into marriage. They have a lot of things that they're going to do together, a lot of things that they're going to have. They're going to have 
certain amount of kids, they're going to have a house, they're going to do this and this, and everybody has all these big plans. He said, the only thing that you have guaranteed in marriage is that you're going to share life together. That is it. You are not guaranteed that you're going to have children. You're not guaranteed that you're going to have the job you want. You're not guaranteed that you're going to have the house you want. You are not guaranteed any of those things. It's, that's not just in a marriage relationship. You see, the only thing that I have in life is to be sure that I am following my shepherd because everything that I am establishing my life on can be gone in an instant, you have no idea the threats that lie ahead or the things that lie ahead. We have no idea the things that lie ahead. And sometimes we have all of these things in life that are built up and become my security, my comfort. And in that, then I forget God. I forget that every single day that I wake up, I am resting in his arm. His hand is upholding me in all things. And in a moment, if I am not careful, I can step out of that and lose everything that I have. So you and I have to be careful that we understand the significance of walking with the shepherd in life, that I understand the, 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 the nature of my life. Psalm 90 says, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. He's saying, teach me to recognize what this life actually is. Teach me to understand that this life is fleeting, that it is passing by in a moment. And when I recognize that, then I am able to keep myself focused and fixed on my Savior, recognizing that He is the one who upholds me. He is the one who should be my security because He is the only one who is sure. Your houses, your money, your food, those things are not sure. There is nothing on this side of eternity that is sure. There is nothing. The only thing that is sure is the God of heaven. And all that we have in him, that is the only thing that you will ever find in this world that is sure. Even truth itself. You can't live this life can't live it fully unless you're based on truth. Truth itself is established in God alone. You cannot find truth in this world. What I am saying is that if God, this, this is an argument, young people, that atheists will make all the time, that God doesn't exist, but then they try to talk about how things are evil and why would God allow evil things to happen. Evil doesn't exist if there is not a transcendent being on which we can hinge the understanding of right and wrong. If truth isn't established beyond this world, then it is subject to what you think and what I think. And who wins? Whoever has the biggest guns. You see, everything, everything that you and I do hinges on the God of heaven. Even truth itself hinges on him. Good and evil wouldn't exist if there wasn't a transcendent being to tell us what is good is what is good or evil. My point in this is to be careful. Be careful over our spiritual walk. You see, when you and I as individuals or the church or a nation forget God. Destruction follows Joel chapter 1. We're going to go back to chapter 1. We're going to skip around a little bit here to see the destruction that follows when man forgets God. Joel chapter 1, starting in verse 2. It says, Hear this, you elders. Listen all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Verse 6. A nation, he's talking about the army of locusts, there was an army of locusts that was coming in to destroy the land. In verse 6, a nation or the army of locusts has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion and fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Verse 10, the fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the wine, new wine is dried up, the, olives fail, the olive oil fails. 
Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Verse 3, again, talking about the army of locusts in the land. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like a garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. Verse 8. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. Now, this was the judgment of God on the nation of Israel in that moment. But what we see today is that God's judgment is giving people to their own devices. We see in that moment God's judgment against them was allowing this army of locusts to go in and destroy every semblance of life that existed in the land. All that was provided for them, all of their provision for the future, all of their land, their food, everything that they had was destroyed by the army of locusts. Why? Because they had forgotten God. God then allowed their land to be destroyed. You see, we see though then in Romans 1, we talked about a couple weeks ago, what the judgment of God is against his people. Romans 1, in verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all those who suppress the truth by their wickedness. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. 26, because of this God gave them over to shameful lust. Verse 28, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over to a depraved mind. You see, the judgment of God today against humanity is giving them over to their own futile thoughts and speculations. The judgment of God is giving them what they want. All of the things that they are pursuing, go ahead. He says it three times in there. Then God gave them over to themselves. Do you want to forget me? Go ahead. This is going to end in destruction. This is going to be, it's, you see, it's the same thing. In the Old Testament, it was, it was an army of locusts that came in and destroyed all life in the land. But it's the same thing today. Figuratively, we can talk about in the lives of people or in the lives of communities or nations, this army of locusts that comes in and destroys every part of life that exists because people are given over to their futile speculations. And in that, they will destroy everything. You see that all through our history. Millions of people destroyed because leaders would rise up and in their futile speculations want to assert themselves in this world. You see people used and abused. Go to countries like the Dominican Republic where we have gone and drive two or three miles out through sugarcane into these villages where people live in a 10 by 10 house with six people. Basically slaves because they make en enough money to exist there, but not enough to get out of the situation that they are in. I remember talking to one guy that started, I think when he was around 12 years old, cutting sugarcane in the fields, and at that point he was something like 73. Still in the same village. People have been destroyed in this life because of mankind pursuing his own futile speculations as to what is right and wrong, trying to assert himself in this life. And in that it is like an army of locusts that will come in and destroy every sense of life that exists. The prophet Joel was warning the people. He was saying, you have seen this army come in and destroy the land. There's another one coming. There's another army that is coming that will destroy everything that you are looking for. Everything that you have looked for, for security 
and health and provision, it's going to destroy all of it. Because you have forgotten the God that provides you life and security. B.C. God in his mercy through the prophet calls the people to repentance and humility to recognition of the current condition of the nation. Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind the blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. These are the verses we're going to focus on now. Blow the trumpet in Zion, verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? You see, in destruction, in the judgment of God, there is always the extension of mercy. We see that even when you consider, remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to Christ and said, here's all the things that I am doing. I've observed the laws. I've done all of these things since the beginning. What else must I do? And Christ said, you've done all these things, but now sell all you have and give it to the poor. And he walked away disappointed. But you see, in that moment, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't because he had money. It was because the money possessed him. He didn't possess the money. His riches possessed him. He didn't possess riches. That was the problem. And you see Christ looking into the depths of his heart and calling him out on that was an act of judgment, but was also an act of mercy because in that moment he's saying, this is what is separating you from me. If you want to experience fullness of life, give this up. In this, you will experience fullness of life. You see, his judgment was just as much an act of mercy. You see this in Joel. When God calls out through the prophet that there is destruction that stands at your doorstep, he is also extending to them his mercy. Verse 12 again, even now, return to me with all of your heart. Verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. The thing that we have to understand today as the church is when we hear the call to repentance, when we see that destruction is standing at our doorstep, there should be urgency in our desire to lay hold of God. There should be urgency that I would be concerned as we talked about. Be careful you don't fall from your secure position. I should take great concern over my own spiritual well-being. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Meaning that I understand destruction is standing here. I am concerned about my own spiritual well-being. I am concerned about my salvation. I'm concerned about the salvation of my my family, my children, my church. I am concerned not just about myself, but you. Now that's not just because I'm a pastor. You should have a concern for the other members sitting in this room. Now I don't know how we could think, if you watch the news, that destruction is not standing at the doorstep. People can say that's being an alarmist or whatever you want to call it. When we get to the point where truth doesn't exist within a culture anymore, and it doesn't, because I think Nick talked about it when he was here, and uh, over and over you hear people today talking about somebody sharing their truth. 
I talked about it two weeks ago. I can't remember. I don't have the exact quote off the top of my head, but it was somebody that was in one of the political uh, um, conventions during the day, and, and they talked about all of the labels they applied to themselves because they weren't a normal gender, they thought, in saying how they were living out their ever-evolving truth. Truth does not evolve. It is not something that changes. Truth isn't relative to a person. Truth exists independent of me. Whether I exist on this earth or not, truth is established in heaven. It is not dependent on me. It is not dependent on what I think about it, what I feel about it. Truth exists regardless of what I think. In that, when we see that those things are falling apart around us in the culture, there is nothing left to build on. What else do you have? If you don't have a sure foundation of truth, what do you have to build on? There's nothing. What happens to a structure when the foundation is flawed? Eventually it comes crashing down. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in our country. I don't know. God, Maybe God will move and change hearts and things will totally turn 180 degrees and everything will, people will be revived for him. Maybe that will happen. If it does happen, he wants you and I to be a part of it. If it doesn't happen, he still wants you and I to be urgent in our pursuit to lay hold of him and his truths so that we might be established on the foundation of his truth and his principles. Whatever comes in this life, whatever comes in our country or in our world, he wants you and I to be established on his truth, to be concerned for each other and concerned about our own salvation. And there should be urgency in meeting together to lay hold of those things. That is what we see here. Again, verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Blow the trumpet. That is, this was the alert all through that time. They used the trumpets to alert people that something was coming or to gather them to assemble together for a specific purpose. Blow the trumpet. Allow, let the people know that there is a need to assemble together for a purpose. Declare a holy fast. You see, again, in that the point of them saying declare a holy fast is because in that moment that you begin to go through a time of fasting, you are removing comfort from yourself. And we've already seen in Deuteronomy, we talked about when God gives you good things, when you were comfortable, he says that the people were prone to forgetting him. You see, fasting removes comfort from us. And in that, it will expose what is contained in my heart. When I'm removed from comfort, all of the impurities in me will rise to the top. Declare a holy fast. He is saying, remove yourself from the comforts that keep you from, from knowing me and pursuing me. All the things that you are comfortable with lead you to forgetting me. So remove those things from yourself and assemble together. He says, call a sacred or solemn Assembly. Now, if we study the Hebrew terms used here, it will lead us to understand that this assembly was to be holy and consecrated to God and to be characterized by seriousness, sincerity, earnestness, honesty, and sober-minded recognition of their need of God. All of this destruction lies at your doorstep, but call a sacred assembly that the people of God with urgency might come together in sincerity, pursuing him for his mercies. But somehow he might carry me through this, that somehow he might relieve from me the things that I need to repent over, that somehow he might heal our land and heal his people, that somehow he might set my priorities straight again, that I would actually have a concern about my spiritual well-being. That's what they're talking about. Blow the trumpet, declare a fast, call a sacred assembly. The priority of the meeting. Verse 16. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, 
Gather the children, those nursing at their breasts, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. You see, in this moment, he was saying, I don't care who you are, what you're doing. I don't care what you have going on in your life right now. I don't care how important you think it is. This is more urgent. You see, De Deuteronomy 24, 5 talks about if a man is recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to his wife he has married. You see, in that moment, people, if you were married, you were exempt from a lot of things. You didn't have to go to war. There were a lot of things that they were exempt from because they were just married. He's saying, do you realize the significance of what he is saying then here? He says, gather the people, bring the, the elders, the children, those nursing their breasts, let the bridegroom leave his chamber and the bride her chamber. I don't care what you were doing. I don't care how important you think the things are that you were doing in life right now. There is urgency in the body of Christ because we need to lay a hold of the mercies of God because destruction is at the doorstep. Listen, this isn't just talking about the political climate of the day. We did the thing uh, a few Sundays ago. What was it called? Hope Sunday, where they talked about all of the drug addictions. And they said in the statistics that there were a 283% increase in drug overdoses in this county since January. 283% increase. Destruction lies at the doorstep. Forget the political climate. There are people that are dying from drugs. There are people, anything that you can imagine, people being abused and dying. There should be urgency in the body of Christ to lay hold of the mercies of God, to lay hold of the glory of God in the church. You see, what happens when we meet together is we are established in the truth of God together. In that, the glory of God is revealed in you and I as we make decisions based on his truth. As we make decisions as the body of Christ based on his truth and his principles, the glory of God will be revealed in us and then through us. The glory of God revealed in the church is what fuels the church. You see, what, what are we doing here if the glory of God isn't revealed among us? If we never lay hold of the things of God, if we never lay hold of the truths of God, if we, don't, if we don't, are not moved by God, if he's not moving in us, what are we doing here? The glory of God revealed is what fuels us and gives people passion to do the work of God. But you see out in the world then, the glory of God revealed in us is what gives substance to our claim. You see, we can go out and tell people all these things about God all we want, but if the glory of God isn't revealed in us here, meaning pulling us together, helping us to actually be different, to love each other, to walk together in life, to, to be able to have concern for one another, to honor one another above ourselves, all of the things that the Bible says, if we aren't revealing the glory of God among us here, there will be no substance to our declaration in the world. Meaning we can tell people all we want, but they are not seeing something that is actually establishing our claim as truth and substantive. There has to be something that gives weight to what we are saying here. And what gives weight to what we are saying is when we are actually pursuing God and he's binding us together. But you see, for that to happen, I can't organize that. The elders can't organize that. Your teachers and classes can't organize that. It takes each member looking off to God and deciding that I am going to have actual care about my own spiritual well-being. Meaning that I'm actually going to consider it. I'm going to take great care and have great urgency to lay hold of the mercies of God every day. Because my spiritual life depends on it. But you see also, the lives of those around me depend on it. Because I have influence over other people. I have influence over my wife and my kids. I have influence over you all sitting here. You, you all have influence over each other. Whether you like it or not, you have influence. And the care you take for your own spiritual life affects directly your influence over other people. 
should be nothing of greater concern. He says, whatever you're doing, stop and assemble to seek God. I'm going to read a lot of verses here, but I want you to stay with me so we understand where God's leading them in this. We see all through chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, the destruction, the army of locusts that was coming in to destroy every sense of life in the land. And chapter 2, starting in verse 12, again, he says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And when he relents, and he relents from sending calamity, who knows he may return and relent and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room in the bridal chamber. Verse 18, as a result of the people in their urgency to lay hold of God, verse 18, then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. Verse 20, I will drive the northern horde meaning the army of locusts, I would drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it into the parched land and barren land. Verse 23, be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow in new wine and oil. Verse 25, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locusts swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my my people be shamed. You see, when destruction lies at our doorstep, whether that's myself as an individual or the church or a country or a community. He's calling the people of God to be urgent to lay hold of the mercies of God. You and I would actually be careful that I would actually have a concern for my own spiritual walk and the spiritual walk of others. That there would be nothing that would be of greater importance than meeting together to lay hold of the mercies of God. I'm almost done. The worship team can come up. You know, I think. Over the last six months, we've heard a lot about having an urgency over the physical well-being of others. We've heard about what things are essential and what things are not essential. If there's anything that is essential today, it is for us to be meeting together as the church. Now, in saying that, I know that there are people who have not been able to come back yet. I'm not disparaging in any way. There is nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is there should be an urgency in the body of Christ to lay hold of the mercies of God. If we are this concerned about people's physical well-being, when is the last time you've ever been that concerned about somebody's spiritual well-being? Honestly, think about it in your life. When is the last time you've ever been that concerned about somebody's spiritual well-being? I was trying to look to get the numbers of the, the, death, the death rate of COVID, and uh, 
it's hard to get a straight number. It depends where you read things. But generally, it seems to be people are saying around 0.3% or something like that. Whatever, it, whatever it is. You realize that the spiritual, that our death rate is 100%. We're going to die. We better be concerned about people's spirits. Because they're going to die. It's going to happen. There's no way around it. It's not a 0.3%. It is 100%. And sin is a devastating army in their life. The Bible says it wages war against their soul. There are people walking around today that their souls are being destroyed by an army of locusts. Our communities, our countries, our towns are being destroyed by an army of locusts that come from people forgetting who God is. We better have more concern about that. I'm not telling you not to be concerned about COVID. I'm not telling you that today. But what I'm telling you is we better get a perspective and be concerned about the spiritual. If we're concerned about the physical well-being of people, we better be more concerned about the spiritual well-being of people. And in this, the church needs to lay hold, urgently be together to lay hold of the mercies of God. Now, I don't know what that means for you in your own individual life today. I don't know how much concern you have over your spiritual walk. Only you know that. Only you know over the last few weeks, if you think back, how much have I actually thought about my own spiritual walk? As much as I've thought about the physical well-being of others, have I actually thought about their spiritual well-being? I would urge you to think about that. But what we're going to start together providing opportunities for us to lay hold of the mercies of God because it's urgent in the days that we live in. One of the things that we're going to do is November 2nd, the night before the election, we're going to have a time to come together and pray because we need it. Our countries, our people need it. The church needs it. Because you can be sure there's dissension in the world over the upcoming election, but there is also dissension in churches over it. I'm not saying here, I'm talking in general in the church. There are people that just as much as the world, they can hate each other because of their political stance. We need to be people who are urgently pursuing God to lay hold of his mercies for ourselves and the nation. There will be more details coming out this week about what we will do, be doing that night before the election but I would urge you to be part of it. I would urge you to be a person of prayer. I would urge you to do whatever you have to do. This is the last thing I'll say. Do whatever you have to do to make sure that you are actually thinking in spiritual terms. If you have to write reminders on your mirrors and your wherever, wherever you have to do, I don't care if you have to tattoo it on your hands. Maybe you all, I'm, I'm, that's the only... Situation where I'll advocate tattoos. <laughs> Don't get a tattoo over that. What I'm saying is, I don't, whatever you got to do. The Bible says, train yourself to be godly. My point is that sometimes we have to be thoughtful and figure out, what do I have to set up in my life so that I will actually think spiritually? What are the things that I need to establish? Some sort of training, uh, whatever it is. You think about when you deal with your physical well-being, you go to a gym and you, if you're going to do it well, you have a plan of how you're going to meet certain criteria to meet goals. We need to do the same spiritually. Be careful for yourself and for others. And we need to have an urgency to lay hold of the mercies of God. God, we thank you again today. We thank you for your mercies that have been extended to us. We thank you that your judgments are also an extension of mercy. Father, help us to be people who would have urgency. That we would have a concern over spiritual things, over ourselves, our families, our church, and our nation. 
Father, help us to be people who would understand that everything isn't always going to be feeling amazing and, and everything's always going to be positive. All the messages we hear aren't always going to be positive, but sometimes we need to be confronted with the reality that destruction stands at the doorstep. Father, in that, help us to return to you. As your word says that we would rend to you our hearts and not just our garments. That we wouldn't be people of just religious expression, but I would offer you daily my heart. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. It is in your name we pray. Amen. to your name, oh Lord, praises to your name, oh Lord, for your name is great. 